Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to our second episode of Ground Control. I'm Star Lucente, and I'm here with the lovely Jess Lee. Thank you for joining us again, especially after listening to my rambling and lost for words on the first episode. So for this one, I actually noted some stuff. <laughs> I wrote down a few notes, um, some things I wanted to ask Jess. And um, yeah, so today we're going to be putting Jess in the hot seat and we're going to learn about her personal journey, discover who she is as a spiritual being in this lifetime. Um, so before we start, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how we met and who I see. Um, so I drove to Sedona this past December and um, needed to secure work. I passed by our um, center where we work, Gateway, and um, noticed this little magical kingdom, so to speak, within the magical kingdom of Sedona and um, decided to send them an email and um, tell them what I do and see if they were willing to meet with me. And sure enough, I was giving the director a session, I would say a few days later. And that was the day that I met Jess. And I told her this, so I'm gonna tell you guys this. So I saw her face and she was very familiar to me. Um, I knew we were gonna be good friends. We were talking about something, getting to know people. I was talking about my move. And um, I just knew we were gonna do something big together. And I think I even said it to you in my head, um, you know, we're, we're gonna be good friends and we're gonna do something big together. And since then, we've discovered that um, we've shared a lot of the same passions. Uh, we are both Virgos. <laughs> I'm a triple, so yeah, welcome to my world. And, <laughs> and um, we both have a kind of fall into this desire to be of service to others. So um, we also believe that we were sisters in at least one past life and um, specifically in Kemet and uh, ancient Egypt. And we definitely did some shit together, so. Definitely. <laughs> um, for sure. So here we are again in this life. Um, we are focused on raising the vibration of humanity once again. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And uh, thus raising the vibration of the planet. That's how we roll. So <laughs> um, do you want to add anything to that? <laughs> no I think you said it perfectly I felt the exact same way okay good so Jess is a stunningly beautiful oh, god she really is kind and authentic woman um I would describe her as being divinely feminine uh illuminated someone that I definitely look up to um in this female sister, soul sister perspective. Um, she's strong, she's intelligent, and um, she's very loving. She has a very big heart. Um, she's very passionate about helping others. And I know for a fact that she only sees the light in others. Um, she always sees the light in others, regardless of what's going on. And she just has that ability and she's automatically draws to that light um i'm truly grateful that we met buddy, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> and now we're gonna get to know her a little bit so 
I'm going to put my serious face on for this. Let me know if I look too serious. Wow. I am I'm so. really humbled. I what a beautiful introduction. Oh, Thank you. My pleasure. It's true. That way. So we're going to start, I think. Um, I know that your journey has been quite extensive. So I want to actually start from your childhood. Um, I'm curious to know how you grew up and uh, your experiences as a child and if you can remember your gifts coming in or using any of your gifts or having to close them off Mm kind of just talk a little bit about that Hmm. okay I have to think about that because I have a couple different stages of my childhood um I'll start out by saying I was born in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived there till I was seven. And I think the first introduction to awareness or seeing things differently um, was when my mom approached us as a family. My parents were still married. And I have an older brother. And she said, we're going on a road trip. And she had a vision of these red rocks. And really didn't know what it was. Um, My father, I mean, I was raised and went to a Catholic school. We were very kind of by the book, very simple um, upbringing family was around there was never any metaphysical talk or gifts or anything like that um so this was kind of interesting that we're gonna drive across the country (laughs) looking for something that god told you (laughs) in your dream that you needed to find so i think that was probably my first questioning Mm -hmm. that curiosity of wow this is going to be an adventure what is this going to be and where are we going to be led to so lo and behold the last day we came to Arizona we thought it was Utah Colorado um how old were you I was seven okay we got into the family station wagon (laughs) and uh Jason and I are in the back and that was the good old days when you didn't have to have car seats and you could lay out (laughs) and it was a fun trip for us and we did all those typical stops the Grand Canyon and you know we kind of my dad was in love with the west So I remember anything that we could stop and see, we would go look at it. Um, Last day we found Sedona. And I remember my mom just falling apart and crying, Mm. just going, this is it. Mm. My dad's name was Joe. And I remember hearing her always, Joe, this is it. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Mm. We have to move here. So we went back and witnessing the door open and even with the level of consciousness that you have as a young kid um I watched our life just completely unfold in a way we our house sold immediately Hmm. within three weeks we were packed up leaving my mother and I went down to Florida to stay with her best friend for two weeks and my dad and my brother came out to Sedona to secure housing. And when we got out here, my mother and I, um, 
we rented a house. We stayed at Don Hole's cabin in Oak Creek Canyon mm -hmm. for the first two weeks. And that in itself was quite an adventure of a reconnection because I wasn't used to that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. I was immediately drawn to that canyon, mm -hmm. to the trees. I didn't understand why. And it's interesting because my parents are actually in the creek. They both are past and we put them down in the creek almost right across the street from where we in, where we first started. Wow. And um, my dad lived in those cabins on the other side of the creek from where we ended up first. So it's kind of a strange mm, full circle. circle. <laughs> um, so the canyon's really sacred to me. And there's that beginning and ending in so many ways. But it, it was just a, I could feel something was different um, at that time. We used to go walking on the golf course, and I remember one of my favorite things to do is to collect the cat tails. They're like those fox tails mm -hmm. or whatever they're called. And we used to take them in the backyard, and we used to burn them. And that was my first introduction to, to smell and working with plants and seeing how they interact and what they do. Um, now I can look back and go, wow, I know what I was doing. But back then, it was just yeah. like this is super cool. Mm -hmm. It's burning and it's fluffy and it smells really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we rented a house up on airport road and that was, that was just very adventurous. It was, um, I think I was watching my mother unfold at that point. The clouds, we literally were in a cloud a lot. The weather was very different back then than it is today. Mm. Um, watching her in awe, watching both of my parents kind of reconnect to themselves, reconnect to the land, um, I really became curious of kind of what they were, how were they living? Because it was so different than what I was used to. Mm. Um, and then all throughout my childhood, we finally got a house in the chapel area. I would help my dad renovate the house. Um, some of my fondest memories are working with my hands and seeing him turn something that was from the hardware store, a globe, into a mold for the stucco wall that we were building. And my dad got a cha the caretaker position at the chapel of the Holy Cross, and which was connected to the Catholic Church in mm -hmm. Phoenix. So I watched them kind of transition in their life in and out of religion, what worked, what didn't work. And then I was out pretty much by myself with my dog and we had a cow pond in our backyard. And so I always had cattle around. And I remember connecting with the animals mm. back, I think that was probably, I was eight by this time there's something that happened. It's like all I wanted to do was play with animals at that point. I think that those deep shamanic roots that I've known through whatever my existence has been energetically was starting to kind of re-engage. Yeah. I remember just wanting to look at the cows and being out there and wanting to pet them. We had a barbed wire fence that would separate us and we would always be out there except for when the bulls would come. And I would go fish out salamanders out of the cow pond and 
look for my brother would always taunt me with snakes but I would look for them <laughs> I don't like snakes now I can work with them doesn't mean I want one in my house but I have um a deep reverence for them mm-hmm. but back then it was fascinating mm-hmm. all these animals that are around and scorpions and tarantulas the whole spider the creativity all this just watching nature in a way that I didn't know and then I would start feeling, I could feel the energy. If I remember back, um, I felt more connected when I was out walking on the land than I was anywhere else. And I think it just started there. I don't remember, um, I don't remember having hits or anything as far as messages. Um, My grandmother ended up coming out to live with us. And I remember having discussions with, uh, or listening to the discussions, my mother and my grandmother, um, about their telepathy and their stories of my grandmother being a healer. Oh, wow. And I didn't really know what that was, but I do know that if I had an upset stomach, my grandmother would put her hand on my stomach and within 10 minutes Mm -hmm. I would feel great. Um, and then I watched them talk about it, but not live that way and shut it down Mm. programming started happening at a very young age um parents divorcing at nine and the wreckage my story my deepest wound of abandonment not just from my father um but from my mother too so my dad You know, he had another failed marriage. He wanted it to work, and my mom was done. And my mom found somebody else right away. And that crushed him. And he left. He went to live underneath the chapel, and then eventually he went and uh, lived up at the Forest Houses in Oak Creek Canyon. My mom, shortly after, had someone come and live with us. And so everyone was busy. Grandma was there. Um, Sorry, Grandma, but (laughs) she was the lifeguard. She made sure that I was okay. I had an older brother who's um, three years older, but he was doing his own thing. I mean, the last thing you want is your little sister hanging out with your friends. And we lived kind of out in the middle of nowhere, so we kind of just scattered and did our own thing. Mm. And I was very alone. And very isolated. I didn't have a lot of friends. I had one friend in particular. Gosh, and I just, I look at wanting to fit in. Mm -hmm. Why did my family fall apart? I used to go to this little drainage ditch that was next to the side of the road on the way where I'd have to walk to get the bus. And I remember just being so sad and not really totally understanding why. What happened? You know, I was under this illusion that my parents together, everything worked. Everything was fine. You know, we'd have dinners. We'd have game night. We have like that normal structure of what you think a family is. Mm -hmm. And what I did know was the storyline between my dad and my mom, which didn't come out till, you know, much longer. And I can understand why she did what she did. But, you know, when you're nine years old, you don't understand. You make it about you. And 
I was really, really close with my father and then he was gone and I couldn't understand it. And so <laughs> that became the storyline for my hustling years. Mm -hmm. So I am a young nine, 10 year old girl and I would come up with any excuse I could just to be around my dad. So I would go up to the chapel and I would vacuum and I would clean out candles and I would do whatever I could just to be in his presence because I thought that was enough. I thought that somehow if I did something for him, he would want to spend time with me and he would show me love. And that went on for years because <laughs> I wasn't getting any nurturing from home. Yeah. My mom wasn't around. My mom ended up um, opening a restaurant with this guy. She ended up, you know, marrying. And drugs became a regular thing for her. Late nights at the restaurant. Um, gosh, I go to school, do homework, play with the dog, go outside. There really wasn't a whole lot of interaction. So I would look forward to Saturday mornings when I could kind of like I was trying to reset back to what I had with my father when we were working on the house. I mean, we really renovated the whole house and I watched all of it and helped. So there's that part that was missing. Um, I started to have all these storylines that would come. Like, why am I not loved enough? Um, I need a man in my life to make everything better because when my dad was around it was better mm -hmm. and um i think oh gosh what was the first part of my mom needing to sell the house and she got rid of my dog mm, i know what that feels oh. <laughs> and not only were we moving from this grounding area for me that i could connect with the land and connect with the animals and she'll tell you, well, if she was alive, she would tell you it's because we asked for it. But, mm -hmm. I mean, you don't listen to your 9-year-old kid or mm -hmm. your 10-year-old kid for big decisions like this. And um, we moved to Flagstaff. And I went from having wide open spaces to a different climate. It was very cold. I had no friends Mom was heartbroken because this is relationship number two that's gone bad. She actually found out he was married to somebody else, and it really sent her down where she started drinking more. My mom had a problem with drinking since I was a kid, and that was the result of dealing with the relationship with my dad. My dad had cheated on her and lied, and my mother coped by drinking. And so we lived in Flagstaff. She worked all the time and we would go to school. And I remember, you know, it wasn't all bad. We had NTV. We had, you know, some fun things that were coming out. Really cute neighbor across the street that would go and pull out his workout bench and work out for me in his front yard. And that was very entertaining when you're, you know, at this point, I'm probably like 13 or 14. Um, and then that lasted a year, and then we decided we all wanted to come back to Sedona. So I would actually, because the nature of Sedona, there was no school, I had to be bused either halfway to Cottonwood mm -hmm. or an hour to Flagstaff. 
So I had already started going to middle school in Flagstaff. And um, I would drive down, I'd take the bus down, and I would stay with my grandma in Uptown Sedona. You know, and it was fun. I would go to the pizza vendor, and I would play video games, and go home. <laughs> and that disconnection was already starting to happen. I was looking at distractions. I was allowing things in my life where I realized I was kind of starting to cope. And all of those feelings of being connected to what I felt at the other house with the land and the animals really didn't apply anymore. I'm in the middle of town. There wasn't anything. So what do you do? You do what every kid does and you go play games and you kind of, mm. you know, just hang out. And um, then what? <sighs> My grandmother ended up, oh, well, the biggest story, I think, where I started feeling uncomfortable was when I was, it's funny, I was telling these people this story today. So I was friends with Mary Bryant, who is the daughter of Paige Bryant, who named all these vortexes here. And there was a little grocery store, and we would sneak over there, and we would buy our clove cigarettes, and we would hide behind in the alleyway, and we would be smoking our cloves. Mm -hmm. And then we would go sneak into the pool in the hot tub or just a regular pool, and then she lived right next to it. So we would go to Mary's house. And her mom was a big woman. So as I, as I remember how old I was, but I was very young and impressionable. And I remember going, that's not something I was ever really familiar with, was the whole world that you stepped into when you stepped into her house. Mm. Crystals everywhere pyramids everywhere she was channeling I don't even remember his name but we used to sneak in the window and we would like spy on her and hear her talking with the, in a group full of people that would be in her house this message and this strange voice that she would have and seeing this very large woman it was such a strange uncomfortable feeling for me and I, I remember going, why do people talk to rocks? What is this? My upbringing and my belief system, I mean, when we first moved to Arizona, my, my dad and mom got into the assembly of God. I mean, there was all kinds of different religious things that we were going towards. And I remember just going, that is not what I was told was normal. Mm -hmm. This must be really evil. Mm -hmm. This is bad. And so anything that had to do of that metaphysical realm or opening yourself up to messages that were not of God or an angel had to be bad. Mm -hmm. You just, you didn't mess with it. So that never, I mean, the first crystal shop that came in, I just remember going, this is really bad. I don't, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to have anything to do with it. So, um, that was my really young childhood. I just disconnect, disconnect. And that precious point of me at that young age of being on the land and talking to the animals and knowing I could talk to them mm -hmm. and feeling like I could understand them um, was dying off. And then that started. 
my journey into um, boys, mm -hmm. meeting the first guy I ever loved. And that started the whole painful process of closing down my heart. That was actually my next question to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you close your heart? Because right. I know we had a little bit of a discussion about that. And by the way, if we go over, what is it, an hour this records? This is an hour. So if we go over, we can, we, can, um, we can record a second one. Yeah. Right? Okay, this so we'll do that. Just knows all the anchor stuff. I do not. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to know um, when and why, like how that happened. Because I think we've all been there, um, that you closed your heart. So. <laughs> um, yeah, his name is Joe. And I met him. Well, my dad was the first one that closed my heart. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, not feeling like I could get his love and not understanding. And I immediately went into some kind of a self-protection mode. And then uh, I was 16. And I was introduced by my friend that lived on the other side of the cow pond from me. Her and I were childhood best friends. We went through high school together and then some. Um, she introduced us and I and he was older. He was six years older. And I remember um, he was fascinating. I remember coming out to this very canyon. We're sitting out in the canyon. This very canyon was the party zone. And I remember coming out here for big bonfire parties, and that was the thing to do. And that's kind of where I met him, and we started talking. And I just really was so different. And he was older, and he, he knew who he was. And there was this sense of balance in him that I didn't know. And I immediately was like, oh, spent a lot of time together, fell in love with him right away. But... He was just off of a relationship, and so I was scared to death of telling him how I felt because it would push him away because of the storyline that he was having. He made it very clear that this woman wanted to be with him. She wanted to get married, on and on and on. So I immediately started withholding my truth and not speaking. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, he never really knew... Um, how I felt about him and I came out I went out to California with our other friend for two weeks and when I came back not only did he decide he wanted to not have me um, in his life anymore and break up the relationship because he really wasn't sure how I felt about him but he hooked up with my friend mm -hmm. that um, introduced us and I felt like as soon as I was gone out of town she she zoned in mm -hmm. so that was my first experience with betrayal I was just gonna say, yeah, first so betrayal. not only betrayal from him from her, but yeah. betrayal from her mm -hmm. and this was my friend from seven on up mm -hmm. so that that one hurt really really deep um, I kind of really didn't know how to process that and so I was just like, my motto was, screw that. I'm not letting you in. I'm going to leave you before you have a chance to leave me. I'm certainly not going to let you love me. And I'm certainly not going to love you because it's too painful. So that was, that was the start of 
me really just putting my heart in a box. And then, <laughs> then I met Mark and um, Mark was older and there was a weird dynamic with Joe and Mark and I. Um, Joe came back and it was very confusing because here comes one person saying he wants to be with me, but yet he went and got married. So he reconnected with me and then to find out he was actually engaged with somebody else. And so there was that other layer of going, okay, I'm going to let you back in, but oh wait, <laughs> you're not being honest with me. So it was just like all these really weird series of things that were, yeah, no, I don't want to feel this. You lie, you betray. That just was all of the energy that, you know, you don't realize at the time, the projection, nobody talks about any of this stuff. So I just kind of kept um, going, okay, yeah, no, it's not what I want. Um, so then I, I was with Mark and I married Mark. For all of the wrong reasons. I was very young. I was engaged at 19. I was married at 20. And I was having my first child, you know, at 21. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds like such a sad story. It kind of is. When I look back at it now, it's like, it feels like so many lifetimes ago, I don't even resonate with it anymore. And it's interesting because this is, this is very typical stuff. My story isn't really much different than anybody else's. Um, he cheated on me and I knew it and caught him. And then I still married him, giving him the benefit of the doubt. That light part that you said that I see the light yeah. in everybody. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> kind of bit me in the ass yeah. on uh, many occasions in my life yeah. and has really taught me the powerful lesson of forgiveness mm -hmm. and my role in it and boundaries. Um, so I married him and shouldn't have happened. And I'm going to like high end this part because there's a lot to it and it would take too long. But I got pregnant after I told him I wanted a divorce. We went away for a weekend and I knew it wasn't working and there was so much control. Um, and we went away thinking we could work it out and I ended up getting pregnant. And I remember him telling me when I told him I was pregnant, he told me he didn't think it was his. The very first words out of his mouth. So there again, it was just like one thing after another going, this is fucked up shit. Yeah. I'm not, no. <laughs> and then I had a lot of issues with my first daughter um, dealing with him. It was an incredibly painful, um, let's just say an incredibly painful 16 years. Um, I carried shame with me for so long because I, I, we placed her up for adoption and that didn't work out. And, um, I ended up having to fight for her, um, against Mark and I, and long story short, it's amazing how much you can become numb. And you feel like there's nothing left mm -hmm. and you don't know which way is up. And in those times, you're making the best decision that you think you can make. So it was an incredibly painful time for me because um, I signed her over to Mark and his side of the family because I knew she would be taken care of. 
And at that time frame, I thought that being able to send her to college and all this stuff was enough. Um, I watched the dynamics between Mark and I, and there was so much anger on their end that I knew she didn't have a chance. I knew, I knew that she was going to be so messed up if it was this back and forth and the tearing apart and your mother did this and your father. It's like that was a time where the ego, you could see it just playing out so aggressively. Um, and somehow I still had the ability to come from my heart and go, you know what, I want her to have the best. And at the time I thought it was more meaningful for me um, to step back and just hope that one day she'll find me and I can understand why and um, be able to make my own amends with her for what I thought I was doing was the right thing. So I did, and then I had to leave Sedona because um, it was too painful, and she would be here, and I knew I would see her, and I knew I would see Mark. So it kind of created this storyline of survival, and I need to restart, and I was deeply, deeply wounded. Mm. I was, um, I left here, I lost my dad in the process. He was very much physically alive, but he would not um, understand. He basically, um, I stopped talking to him for eight years. So there was a, a tremendous amount of loss in my life back then. And my grandmother had died um, six months before I got married. So who was my main root part my one that kept me okay um she is dead and keep in mind when she died um my mother had to come back and my mother we sent her away for treatment when she was 16 so if I look back at there was a period of my time for five years at least where my mom was a raging alcoholic so I was a teenager and the, the guys became an escape for me because we lived with two different drug dealers. I watched my mom get physically beaten up in front of me. Things a child should not see. Mm -hmm. And that trauma and that pain. Here's your mother and you're watching her not knowing how to stand up for herself and tolerate this behavior. Um, she was coping by drinking and it got really, really bad. And so I left Sedona with a friend, moved to Albuquerque for a completely new start, but I ran. I was running from all of the pain, all of the wounding, um, everything that made up that first quarter of my life. <laughs> mm. um, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I wanted to start fresh. I wanted a new beginning. I didn't even want to associate with any of that. So then, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the chapter one that closed off. And I left there going, I'm never going to love anyone. And I don't want to feel this pain. And I don't ever want to feel this betrayal again. And then, um, yeah, 
it took me a long time to really get to a point where I could um, open that back up. And how did you do that? So I... I moved to Albuquerque, got a great job, started making friends, and I met, two years later, uh, David, and we really hit it off and um, ended up marrying him, and had, well, we kind of moved around, but had two beautiful children um, with him and you know I was numb life was working I definitely put myself um, out of any kind of awareness of intuition or heart-based reality or living or any of that um, it was a comfortable existence there weren't really, I kind of flatlined and I liked it that way. And that went on for a really, really long time. So we moved um, to North Carolina and lived out there for a few years. My mom came out and she was struggling taking care of herself. So she ended up coming to live with us. And um, my God, it's probably... It took us moving back to California and divorcing. So we were married for 14 years. So I spent 14 years of my life pretty much asleep. Mm. Um, raising my kids, loved my kids, um, enjoyed being mom, playing that role of the good wife and the mom. But really numb. I wasn't coping. I didn't go to that point it didn't get that bad at that point um just kind of going through the emotions of what you think life is what your expectations are um the obligation of being married and taking care of a house and being there for my mom and raising your kids and all the things that you know and working on top of all that we started our own business just kind of living that um, expected life mm -hmm. that everybody says they want, right? The house, we had a beautiful 3,500 square foot Victorian house we were renovating. We had the nice cars. We had money. We had, uh, we lived in a very small town. We had, um, you know, when dial-up and internet was becoming really the way. I remember um, those days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we started our own uh, internet dial-up company. And we would service all the computers for all the school systems around. We were doing really well. Yeah. We were making a lot of money. It was, um, you know, we were successful. Yeah. And unhappy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just kind of, you didn't want to stop doing what you're doing because then it would be really noticeable. And not that it, I had, you know, and during those times, I mean, Dave and I had a really great friendship. And... We didn't realize that we had these stories that were rubbing against each other. You just kind of um, tolerated it, right? 
And I did not want to put my kids through a divorce that um, I saw what it did to my childhood. So I was really adamant about toughing it out. You stay with it. You're in it for the long haul. Um, and then the reasons for being in North Carolina um, were changing and we were offered a job in California and so we decided to take it and <laughs> that was the start of that um, awakening to the nature of our connection and relationship. We came out, we worked for a man that had a Christian internet company and um, I was head of the marketing department and we actually were creating pretty amazing things, portals. Um, you know, when you think of uh, back then when you'd have dial-up, you always have a landing page. And in those, you would have all like what we would call apps today. We had all these creative things that we were going to be offering um, if you had service, monthly service with us. And Dave was the vice president of the company. And here we are living in Irvine, Southern California. And, you know, we had nice cars, nice BMW, making money. But as soon as we got here, the guy started, you know, we basically cut our pay in half and he started lying. So it was that first wake up of going, okay, here's a Christian. Here's what we believe. We started going to church because... <laughs> we thought that that was the right route to go was um, we wanted to have um, our kids kind of know God and that's kind of what you do, right? <laughs> and everything started falling apart. And I watched how corrupt this man was and that he would do things in the name of God and it was very much against humanity and his people that worked for him and the well-being of everyone that that um, was around him and then uh, yeah a lot of betrayal inside of the company he was doing things that were enough that it caused all of us to step down um, it wasn't in line with integrity and I remember those moments of going integrity started really coming along strong for me of your word is all you have and you need to stand by that. And what does that mean? And starting to really kind of look at what are boundaries and what are we willing to do and not do in the name of taking one for the team or this is a good cause and all the other things that we do that really kind of starts eroding our soil or our soul. And... Um, yeah, got heavily into church and then started questioning everything. And I think that was the moment where I remember sitting in a church in Irvine. And I think that was the first time I ever felt spirit. And I'll never forget it because it wasn't the message. It wasn't anything anyone was saying. It was that quiet time at the end when they would just play music. And they had a whole band. And for the first time in my life, I felt energy. And it was undeniable. 
and it was coming through music. And the lyrics and everything were amazing and beautiful, but it was that feeling that energetic vibration and how I was so lifted up. That was probably the first time in my adult life going, whoa, what the hell was that? And I like felt that so deeply in my body and in my cells. And it was unlike anything that anyone's ever told me or experienced. So that created a whole curiosity line for me. And of course, I just kept going because I wanted to feel that vibration. So it's probably the first introduction I had to understanding vibrational healing. Um... Fast forward, total wreckage. <laughs> um, Dave was lying about everything, um, like big things. He, our stories were really coming into full effect and we're rubbing each other wrong. My story of I'm not opening my heart to anyone because I've been betrayed and been so left out to dry and his story of I'm so insecure, why don't you love me? And it ended up we couldn't communicate and we couldn't work it out and then he started cheating and lying and um long story short <laughs> um absolute betrayal again i mean the cheating is a really big betrayal and it's really hard to come back from that when you know you feel like you're a good wife, you're understanding, you're um, trying to do your best as that role that you're, you know, you want to fit. And, and then to have someone say, you're not enough, I'm going to go distract myself with somebody mm -hmm. else. That's a completely different wound. And that was, that made me want to close off intimately. So that storyline started coming. And then, um, yeah, we went to Hawaii and went for a friend's wedding and came back and was finding out that our house was being foreclosed on. And he never w talked to me about it. And then he lied about it. And then um, I actually had his assistant, who was our friend, basically say, you know, you got two small kids and you're going to come home from school one day. And she's like, your house is on the auction and you're not going to have a place to live. You need to figure out what you're going to do. So that was my introduction of, oh shit, here's someone I've been married to for 14 years and you're not addressing a very real problem we have and I'm in harm's way and my children are in harm's way. We're literally going to lose everything and you don't have really the balls to tell me what's going on because you're afraid of how it's going to look. Um, that was incredibly painful, especially when you feel like you know somebody and then you find out you really don't. And that also is a beautiful threat to show as an example how deep those storylines go of when we're in our programming and we're used to doing things, but we don't know who we are how strong they are, and they will make us do things that we really don't want to do. But they limit us, and we're so stuck by fear that it keeps us from moving forward. So 
what opened me back up was me leaving that relationship. Mm -hmm. That night, I remember he threw me under the bus again with some financial stuff. And I remember that night going, I've had enough. I'm going to take care of myself. And this isn't love. And if here is a husband that is supposed to be your partner and have your back, and it's really like sleeping with an enemy, you don't, there's no protection, there's no safety. Um, doesn't mean he's a bad person. I just could very well see that he was, he was living a life that wasn't honest to himself, and that left him capable of doing whatever he wanted to do. So I left. I remember we waited for Christmas, and I actually, that was the first profound dream I ever had. My father came to me. So my father died that year that I wanted to leave Dave, and he died, and it was a real wake-up call for me. So um, I remember... I, you know, I didn't talk to him for eight years and then coming back into, he sent a letter saying, I don't know what I did, but, you know, can we try to work this out? And he came out and we talked and we just kind of worked on rekindling things. And I'm thankful that I got the opportunity for the first time to have that connection with my father again. Um, two years before he died, we got really, really close, and um, it was nice, and my kids got, well, Christiana got to know him, and um, Bella was very young, and of course, Melanie hadn't come back at this point, um, and so that was that moment when he died that I first asked, why don't I feel anything? Who am I? And why does this not feel good anymore? I don't like my life. I don't like who I am. And I remember making the decision. We were living in California, and my dad was out here in Arizona, and he passed away in Flagstaff. And I told, um, you know, the winter was really, really bad, and we weren't going to be able to have a funeral right away because it was so bad and there was so much snow. And I remember looking at Dave and said... I need to be out there. I need to go. I don't want to wait till spring to deal, to mourn. I, this is so uncomfortable for me. I need to go now. And I think that was the first time that I really decided to be courageous in my life was I mourned. I opened myself up to feeling and it was incredibly painful and incredibly freeing. I remember holding, my dad was a tall dude. He was, you know, six foot one and he was very built and muscular and he came back um, after being cremated in a tiny little box. And I remember holding him and just crying for days. But it was my unraveling in that moment, you know, and it's funny because my father has been the most two people but my father has been one of the most important teachers in my life. And um, he helped close me down, and he also helped open me up. Mm. And um, 
he later came to me as a guide. He's not with me anymore. Um, I did something this last uh, beginning of January. I did a physical, whatever you want to call it. A cleansing? Hmm? Like a cleansing? Um, cutting of cords? No, actually, I was with um, this other person that's been my other great teacher. I was with um, Jeff, and I, um, this this will be a different part of the story, but yeah. I gave him my father's ring, and it was, I didn't realize it um, till that moment. Like, I knew I was feeling that I needed to give it to him because it was closure, and I gave it to him, and it was complete closure for me. Um, Jeff was the one that needed to have that ring. I needed to give it to him because it really, he healed that issue that started with my father. And he's very much like my father. Um, so it was a really interesting healing point for me. And ever since that moment, um, my dad's gone. He's always been around because he's always been keeping me on this path. He's always been talking to me or visiting me and keeping me um, on this journey of where I'm supposed to be about opening my heart. And um, one of the things was when I was leaving Dave, I had this, the very first snake dream. I had um, very first vivid dream and it was about snakes. And it was my father coming to me. It was the first time I ever really experienced what a dream vision and getting a message from the other side was it was a it was a life-changing moment again for me of going wow I sat at the computer the next day and was googling these snakes that came to me and through the dream feeling like I had no hope and I was going to die and then all of a sudden it was just like no you can get past this other side and then I googled it these snakes and uh I kept hearing my dad talk to me while I'm looking at the snake you can't go around it anymore you have to go through it if you don't you're gonna physically emotionally mentally and physically die and and that was it that catapulted me into going I'm done how do I want my life to look I'm done with all this wreckage I'm done with all this pain let's start healing and what does that look like because I don't like who I am anymore so that started, that really, truly started my healing journey. So you mentioned Jeff, and I definitely want to um, talk to you about that. And um, maybe we can start with, I know we were talking the other day, and you had said something uh, like you learn your lessons or... Um, you're getting, you get information from relationships that you're in. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have met your twin flame and we don't like to throw that word around. So that that saying, I should say, my mirror, Uh, your mirror. mirror. Yes. Your, your, um, piece of yourself, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really want to talk about that. Um, because a lot of people, um, have a misconception of what a twin flame is um you know a lot of those relationships turn toxic and um 
I think you can provide some really good insight from your experience mm-hmm. with that. So do you want to, can we stop this and then we yeah. redo it? Okay. Yeah. Start a new one? Okay. So we're going to start uh, episode two in a second. Yeah. Episode two, part two. Right. All right. So welcome back. And we are episode two, part two of Jess Lee. So my last question, which I want to get into was about your meeting of your twin flame and your experience uh, with twin flames in general um, because there's definitely a misconception around it. A lot of people want to, oh, I want to meet my twin flame, then we're going to be together forever. And there's all this fairy tale around it, but it's not a fairy tale at all, is it? <laughs> no, so it's not. Tell us. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an incredibly beautiful and painful journey and it's still mind-blowing for me of um what how many parts of it there are like if you google what is a twin flame there's so many things that have come up Mm -hmm. and there's so much misleading information and um one of the things i'm becoming more and more passionate about is speaking the truth around it so I will, I will say that my whole life, I've always looked for a person. And I've always known that, which is really funny that I'm going to say this, because this is that contrast, that polarity. Um, I always felt like there was a certain kind of love that I wanted to experience that I knew was out there. I did believe in that kind of love. I just wasn't seeing it through any of my experiences. I was just having, you know, endless amounts of betrayal and um, closed me off. And, you know, I had a few relationships in between. I had a very profound relationship that taught me about self-love, that um, I learned about mindfulness and compassion therapy and um, realizing I have a story and that kind of, and we can circle back around if you have questions on that. But um, fast forward two and a half years ago, I always would meet people or get into a relationship. And it just never really, I was always, are you it? Are you this love that I know I've been looking for? I knew that I would know it when it resonated. Now, I've had some, I've, I've had a couple really great relationships Um, I, there, you know, we talked about how I learned through relationships. Every relationship I've had has taught me something, um, very profound. Some of it has been, um, sweetness. A lot of it has been betrayal. Some of it has been, um, trusting my own judgment, um, understanding myself. Um, you know, I had one relationship that, I mean, he he was really great. We were best friends. We had a lot of great times together. Um, I was more of a teacher for him than he was for me. Um, but even in that, I still, I knew I loved him greatly, but it was still not it. And how do I say this without sounding so bad? But it was really easy for me to leave those relationships when I knew they weren't for my highest alignment. Mm -hmm. And yes, they're painful and yes, there's emotions involved, but I didn't, um, 
have the pain around it that I have felt with this person. Um, it was a divine meeting. Um, if you asked him, he would just say, no, we just met on Facebook. <laughs> We're very polar opposite in a lot of ways. We really actually are opposite. We are, we are that complete opposite aspect of one another but yet we're so similar and compatible in so many different ways um when I first met him I had no idea who he was and it was funny because I rejected him the first time I ever met him well it didn't really meet him but the first time I ever saw his picture he friend requested me and I remember looking at his picture going I, I had a hit of something so now at this stage in my life I am super intuitive. I am super in tune. I have worked through a lot of stuff. I spent nine years ago really like opening myself up, understanding energy, getting into Reiki, getting into channeling, understanding, wow, okay, this is who I am. And um, being what I will call, you know, my version of what fully awake is, meaning I'm just really tapped in. Mm -hmm. And I do, I get senses of, I know people. I've had many people come into my life, like this last one I was talking about. You know, he, I, I just, I knew it. And I even knew it with Dave too when I met him, um, the girl's dad. I immediately had a download, this person's supposed to be in your life, or I know this person. Um, I, I saw his picture and it didn't even look like him. It didn't even like resonate in any way. I was just like, I did have one hit, and I was just like, okay, interested. I'm not really interested. And then I'm not sure what shifted it, but um, I got this really heavy hit to message him to tell him I hope he's going to be okay because he has a, he has a job that is, um, can be very life-threatening, very exhausting. And I just remember... Um, and I'm going to try to take a higher elevation here because I don't want to give too much of, you know, his information or any of that, um, out of respect for his privacy. But, um, I just really felt spirit say, reach out, make a connection. And so I did. And so we started talking and, um, we decided to meet. So we met for two days. Um, at a location that we could both drive to that was doable. Um, I was in California. And I'll never forget that moment that I looked at him and he's standing in the middle of the street and I walked up to him and he, he didn't look anything like what I expected. Even though I'd seen pictures and we had commented back and forth and we were talking, um, he looked very different. And I remember as soon as I hugged him, I got, this is your karmic partner. And at that time I thought karmic meant like, you know, you could just have to repay karma. Um, and then I heard this is him and I knew it. I knew it in the very depths of my very essence that you just met the person that you've been looking for your whole life. Hmm. And I knew in that, that that meant that I thought, I, you know, I thought he was going to be my lifelong partner. Um, but he's, he's my lifelong teacher. Mm. Um, the partner part, I don't know. We can't seem to figure that out. <laughs> um, it is not a fairy tale. It can be. 
Some people refer to the bubble love phase. You come together. It is so freaking intense. And it's a love that you've never really experienced. And um, you have so many emotions that feel so deep that they're, you kind of don't know how to process it. How do you actually love and have immediate unconditional love for somebody? And you don't really know them that well. Um, it's just automatically there. And there was such a sense of the realization that I've been longing my whole life for somebody, for something to experience, and that it's standing in front of me. That was pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, we had that amazing time together. We um, started seeing each other long distance, and then we got to be able to spend Christmas and New Year's together, and it was a whole month of just us being, and it was freeing, and it was amazing. And then he went away for a couple months, and, you know, our relationship has always kind of been long distance, and then we would come together for a couple weeks at a time, or not a couple weeks at a time, for realistically a seven days or ten days. Um, and I was already starting to get triggered. I was already starting to feel that rub of going, what the hell? Like, I have such incredible love for this person, but yet, why am I feeling so freaking insecure? Why am I questioning everything? Why am I putting up with some of the shit that I was having to put up with? Because most people think that a twin flame relationship, um, my understanding of it, because it's still kind of mind-blowing to think of this concept, it's my, it's, we share consciousness. We're two separate beings, but we share, we're like the same being in two bodies. We are the opposites for each other. We're that yin and that yang. It is our agreement that we come together to fast track each other on a spiritual journey to come back fully into ourselves and heal any karmic and any deep wounds that we have need to be cleared because our reasons for doing this are to raise in vibration and set a new template of what love is supposed to be. And that love is a love of the higher vibration and the higher chakra system. It really truly is unconditional love. The very nature of this relationship is to break all attachments and all codependence. See, you know, that whole... I need to be with someone because you need to be taken care of or I'm going to have kids with. It's none of that. This is a pure love connection. And it mirrors everything and stuff you had no idea you had. It was super interesting today. We were watching something and um, <laughs> it was talking about Lumeria. And back then they believed that beings were one. You had the male and the female. And they were connected. And Plato talks about this. And they, there's science to back this up. That we were separated at that time. We were one being. And then we were separated. To have two different experiences. The male, the female version. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started having. Being able to reproduce and have children. 
we're still the same thing, but we're that physical separation of male and female. But you're always connected. Mm -hmm. um, this person is always with me, energetically. Um, it will look like an incredibly abusive relationship. <laughs> it will look like a completely sabotaging relationship. Um, it brings out every possible negative thing you could possibly have and a longing and an energetic pull that I've never experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I've done a lot of mental health work and I'm a very sane person and I've even questioned my sanity. Um, he mirrors consistently the rejection that I felt with my father um, in love and the abandonment. Um, we had a coming together. I decided to give up, you know, my life as I knew it and decided to go to Thailand with him. And we were going to build a life together and we had a huge falling out. We just rubbed each other wrong. I triggered stuff in him and um, it caused him to withdraw and he triggered my abandonment and it caused me to become incredibly insecure and uh, I ended up leaving Thailand um, early and in a mess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had, it was very incredibly traumatic and it catapulted me into um, the dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And it took me a year and a half to navigate that journey. I didn't take jobs. I would do side projects. I would look for jobs, but thankfully I was in a position where <laughs> I had a little bit of money. I took out a loan and I had credit cards and I was able to have friends open up their houses for me because I can't explain what it did to me, but I knew I needed to heal. Um, I couldn't function. I have never experienced the kind of pain I had with this person and this falling out is unlike any kind of grief and any kind of pain I've ever experienced in my life. And I've had a lot of loss. We talked, you know, about mm -hmm. some of the grief and stuff that I've had and the betrayal. You know, I found my grandmother past. I mean, I found her body. Like, I, I've had traumatic things happen in my life and none of them have compared to what I experienced with this person coming back. Um, the remarkable thing about this relationship is he doesn't really have to try to do anything. It just naturally is the nature of our energies that bring this all up. So he is a very beautiful man. He has such an incredible heart. He is incredibly giving and very loving. He's very charismatic. Um, but all I see are those shadow parts of him. Like I see that, but I get triggered and I feel those shadow parts. The questioning, the mind stories, why don't you choose me, which triggered my whole thing of going, wow, you know, why don't you want to have a relationship with me? I'm pretty incredible and, and available and loving. And 
that rejection of what felt like your love isn't good enough. You're, um, you're not wanted. Um, the ignoring, the coming together and then the ghosting and the ignoring and the, the no communication and the intensity of me wanting to chase and come into him and say, don't you see this? Don't you see this? Don't you see how much I love you? Don't you see what this nature of this connection is? And trying to convince him of something that he was not been ready to hear or want to hear. Um, you know, this isn't a conversation I've had with him of, you know, I've kind of hinted, but you know, it's kind of a lot <laughs> talking to someone about a relationship that they don't feel the same way in because they're not coming from their heart space into it. Um, they're coming from their mind and they're being triggered. So the very nature of this roller coaster ride is to really clean out all of the guck that's in there, that's been there your whole life, through every relationship you've had, through your childhood, everything has to come up. And the only chance that you would be able to come together is if all these things are resolved and you truly come back into yourself healed. And you have a choice with everything, free will, um, to do the work or not. And, you know, they'll explain the connection that there's a matrix twin that is very earth-based, that doesn't have the same feelings and the same pull as the spiritual twin. And the spiritual twin is the one that does a lot of the healing that gets triggered and heals a lot. And then in that healing, it kind of helps with the energy of releasing the intensity so the other person can kind of come into their healing. Oh, but it's tough. <laughs> it's so tough. It's so painful. It's been... Um, Every time we come together, there's a new wave. And, um, you know, it's just, it's been coming into a place of understanding what this connection is and letting go of any expectations and really diving even deeper into myself. I've done self-help work for 16 years now. I really am aware of my stories. I'm really aware of when I'm reacting, when I'm not. And this has been such a challenge for me because I literally have never felt pain like this before. It has put me on the ground pretty much in a fetal position, crying, not going, what the fuck? What? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I've had to really look at my life of going, again, who am I? And what is he showing you? You know, when I could shift myself, and go from a place of going, why are you doing this to me? I don't understand. I need a logical answer. And I got really, really heady. And that's part of what the journey does. You kind of can spiral in, you know, in this circle. But when you reach that moment where it's like, okay, what are you mirroring for me now? What are you teaching me? So every time we would come together, I was taking that stance then. It wasn't, uh, oh gosh, okay, this is it. We're going to live happily ever after and have this, you know, fairy tale life. It's like, okay, here we go. What's going to show up now? And looking at how I'm reacting to things. And it's gotten easier. I mean, we were, um, 
when COVID hit, we were together and we had another falling out and it was just like Thailand. Um, not for me, for him. Um, for me, I could look and see everything very clearly. And um, that time I was actually happy to leave. And, um, you know, it's just all these coming in and out. It's gotten me to the point where I'm okay. <laughs> mm. Thank you for showing me what you've shown me. And I can release this and I can have an energetic relationship with you. I can have this spiritual relationship that um, is showing me those deeper parts in myself. And I can look at it and go, I don't need to be physically with you anymore. Yes, obviously, I, I've loved this man from the moment I met him. That has been something I've always wanted. But I'm also not prepared to, to not be in alignment anymore. And I think that has been the biggest thing for me of that journey showing me you know, what are you willing to do? How are you willing to contort yourself? What are you willing to tolerate? What, um, what are you willing for this to show you of these areas that you need to work on? And it all comes back to loving yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've come back to this place where um, the alignment has to be right. I don't want to be with anyone if the alignment isn't right. Period. I, 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 I don't want to distort myself anymore. And it took me a really long time to get to that point. You know, this journey is a lifelong journey. We're always going to be connected. The longing and the desire, this person is always in my thoughts. I mean, there's literally, it's maddening to be sitting doing something. Like, I'll be at work, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I will feel this person or I will have a memory. And I'm not even thinking that way. It's like it's such an energetic push and pull. Mm -hmm. And we overcomplicate it. So mm -hmm. this journey is a lot like our own personal journeys and our own personal relationships. Where we, we become so attached to outcomes. We become so attached to how we feel we're supposed to feel. And how that person is supposed to make us happy and do these things for us when we really need to do them for ourselves. Mm. You know, we're not together because there needs to be self-love. There needs to be alignment. And that means you're really fully in yourself and doing the work. Spirit showed me um, last week, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've cut cords. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to move on. Um, it's just been this, like, vicious, like, it's a mind fuck. Mm. And... I, I saw this cord that was attaching us and it dawned on me that that's that attachment cord. We can't go very far. We're keeping each other in this space and we do this with every relationship we have. We're energetically connecting through these cords, um, but they're keeping us stuck, right? They're, they're not allowing us to give and take and flow. And so I removed the cord. And then what Spirit showed me was the very nature of this connection of what I have with him, but what we could have with everybody else, too. Mm -hmm. Is it for, our, for us, it was this beautiful circle. It was this infinity symbol because we are the same. We are connected until we both go back into one consciousness. There's no getting away from each other. We don't have to, you know be together, but there's no energetically getting away from each other. 
we are each other's teacher. But it was this beautiful, like, almost like a rubber band. It's this big energy field that circles us and we can move in and out. We can't leave the energy circles, but like it can be really elongated. It can be close. It could be wide. Um, it can, it has flexibility. It has movement to it. And I realized we should be doing that in every area of our life. Not having these cords that are one way, that are rigid, that keep us tied, which is the suffering. Um, I finally released my suffering. I was addicted to suffering for most of my life. And this is another thing that helped me. Um, being able to see that flow really freed things up for me. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about it other than <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah. And it is a process to constantly check in with myself to go, am I attached? Mm -hmm. And I can sit here today and for the first time I can tell you I've released him. I can let him go. I don't have to hold on to the idea of it has to be him. Um, there's no more pressure in that. I wish him well. He's going on his own journey. I honestly don't really know if I will ever talk to him again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we are in communication, um, but the communication is not, it, it's like a friendship communication. There's, there's a lot of love there, but um, I'm finally opening up myself to what is in alignment. I would like to share my life in a loving relationship. And I know what that feels like and what I want that to be. So I'm finally at the point where I'm opening myself up to things other than this journey. Um, but he'll still be my teacher. He's always going to be my teacher. And I think when we can step back from looking in these relationships, there are so many of these, I like to call them mirror relationships instead of twin flame. Mm -hmm. But the twin flame is, you know, it's a shared flame. It ignites that purification process that we all, that we have to go through. It's burning away all these negative things that no longer serve us as our soul and as we evolve. And we actually signed up to come here with this, I hate the word, but mission mm -hmm. of responsibility of all we have to do is come back into ourselves and coming into ourselves in our full alignment, whether we're physically together or not. It, it raises the energy of the planet mm -hmm. and it raises the vibration. So it's a very powerful um, relationship to have. And so many people are having them now because we're trying to raise consciousness on the planet. But so many people are misunderstanding when you say this is you and this is the greatest true love and the greatest love you'll ever experience. It's not the Disney romantic fairy tale right. love. right. That is actually a very lower vibrational mm -hmm. chakra um, connection. That's codependency. Mm -hmm. This is allowing that person to live their own life and say, I love you, um, and let them teach you from whatever platform and energy they need to teach you to. It's all about self-reflection. Mm -hmm. It really is a journey into self but it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm glad you explained that because a lot of people uh, romanticize and idealize what 
a twin quote unquote twin flame is so um i think it's really important to understand that just like you said it's a mirror relationship and when you meet your twin flame they're there to teach you you're there to learn from each other and um, you could end up being together or not but in many cases um, from what I've seen not um, you know you come together you learn what you need to learn you clear what you need to clear within yourself and I've noticed um, that um, after meeting your twin flame or being in a mirror relationship you develop more self-love and I think you were talking about that um, because things come up and you start to realize um, things about yourself um, so and it's important not to um, romanticize this mirror relationship and like you were saying before it's almost like um, someone being in an abusive relationship and I've seen that and it frustrates me because you know not being in it um, you see things and it's it's upsetting to see your friend um, feeling this unnecessary pain and um, you know there's always this push pull with these mirror relationships and someone's always grabbing for the other person the other person's always pulling away and um, that person that is only like I don't want to say only focusing on the light but just sees the pure light in that person and is fighting for um, themselves and that person and fighting to learn and fighting to just be in that relationship and love is making excuses for that other person. And I see that a lot where that other person will, things that they say, their actions, um, their lack of support, and your love for them is so strong that you say, you know, that's my twin flame. I want to help them understand who they are. I want to help them see me. I want to help them be their best version and be in alignment but, you know, we were talking about this the other day, you realize like, I, you know, if you're not in alignment, you're not in alignment and that's it. You know, um, it doesn't mean once you let go that this person's not going to come back and you, you don't know if they're going to come back and you don't know if you will end up together or not, or maybe you'll come together and, you know, split up again, but there shouldn't be any expectations around it. And, um, there shouldn't be this desire that you need to meet this one person that was meant for you or this other half of you, you know, um, it's really important to love yourself and be complete and know that you are complete and whole without this other person, without this flame, without this mirror relationship. So I think, you know, like you said recently, um, I even recently noticed a, a big shift in you, um, just your whole energy and um I don't want to say vibration but we could use that word just like I see the shift where you did let go and I know that was really hard for you to yeah. let go yeah. and it's not letting go in the sense that you're like oh I'm gonna let go of this person and I'm never gonna think about him and I'm just gonna move on and go and get into another relationship it's more of the sense like you were saying you let go of the outcome and that's the same thing when we surrender ourselves um, and we say, you know, I'm surrendering and I'm trusting the universe. You're not just saying, oh, you know, fuck it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go with the flow. What you're saying is I'm not going to focus on the outcome. I'm just mm -hmm. going to focus on 
what I want to do, what I feel is right, and the outcome is what the outcome is. It's what is written, you know, it's how it's supposed to be, what we chose on a higher level. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really powerful story, and I love talking to you about um, things of this matter because I feel like you have a lot of, um, uh, pers like, an interesting perspective on relationships, and um, although I feel like you've been betrayed and dealt with all of this betrayal and grief, you still have this big, beautiful, open heart. And um, I guess I want to ask you, so after letting go of the twin flame, and I know you hate that word. <laughs> Even I say it, I start to get you like, know, eh. The attachment I, the of attach meeting the relationship to There work. you go. <laughs> so you let go of this, um, and you're in this really good place. And I, I feel am. it, and I see it, and... Um, I mean, it's awesome because it, I know how hard it was for you. So yeah. maybe just to tell others, you know, how you did that and how you're feeling and how much of a better place you're in um, to just, you know, maybe help others understand that it's it's not it's much better once you do let go. Um, it is, and it is a process, and everyone is going to get there in their own timing. Um, it was funny because I was talking to someone on the phone last week, and it triggered a whole bunch of stuff for me because she calls up, and she's, you know, talking about how she's in this relationship, which is, a, you know, the same kind of twin relationship. I'm actually surrounded by a lot of people that are having these relationships, and it was really nice feeling of me being on the tail end of it of that intense pain and understanding what the, na the nature of this is, she's still stuck. Like I could see her brain stories. You get stuck in these mind loops and they don't make sense. And being able to really help her come back into the embodiment of it. And I think that's what changed it for me was being able to embody myself fully mm -hmm. and go, I don't really need anything outside of myself anymore. And that's true with everything in our life. You know, it really is holding on to the attachment that creates the suffering. I suffered so long in this relationship because I was holding on to this attachment of that program of relationships should look like this. Love relationships should look like this. I can tell you I love this man so greatly, but I love him enough to let him go and not hold on to both two people trying to distort something that's not in alignment. Um, you know, that's, that can be applied to every area of our life. And when we can really come back to that place of being heart centered and go, does this serve me? Am I in my power? Am I in my full embodiment? Um, it goes back to the core values that I always talk about. And it took me a long time to be able to see this because it does, it knocks you on your heels. Mm -hmm. You become everything you get triggered in everything that you didn't even realize you had issues with. I'm not an insecure person. Okay. I mean, I, I have never really had those parts of me where I feel like, um, I question everything about myself. Um, I haven't had that since I was a kid. This person brought all that up. So then you're dealing with all these things that are not normally in your orbit of how you live mm -hmm. and, because you're not used to them, it throws you off further going, what the hell? I'm getting blasted from all these different areas. And what I realized with helping this woman on the phone and what I learned was really you just have to take the step of coming back into self. Everything 
in this world, every relationship, every job, everything is a teacher for us to get back into self. The minute we can quickly stop and embody and go, is this in my alignment? Is this in alignment with my core values? How does this make me feel? Um, it's very freeing. That's that moment where you're like, wow, I, I can live open. I can love freely. I don't have to put all these parameters on to keep my life inside of a box. And that's the goal is to get outside of the box of what we've created with all of our programming. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just getting used to just reacting the same way. We don't know what's on the other side. So it's easier for us to stay in these pain points because it is takes a lot of courage and is scary to think of going, what's it going to look like? I have to be vulnerable with this person. I have to be vulnerable in myself. That's uncomfortable. You know, I've taught for years about the power of being uncomfortable and learning how to sit in that. It's not easy. It hasn't been easy for me over the last two years, but the more you do it, the more things unravel and you get to see who you are and how you react. And when you can just become an observer in your life, you get into that, you know, that flow state I was talking about. Um, you can just observe things coming into your awareness and you don't any longer have that attachment. You don't need to contort it or change it or manipulate it to get some feeling out of it because you can choose. It's very empowering to go, I would like to explore this feeling. It's like you're at a vending machine and you get to pick the experiences you want rather than just you're flooded with whatever's in front of you. Um, you very much have a say of what you want to experience in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you can reach that kind of mastery, you know, you can just see where you're vibrating at and put out what you would like to experience and let it come because that's all happening whether you realize it or not. If you're having a bad day, you're vibrating in that and that experience is coming. Mm. You know, if you have an attachment to somebody, that more reason for you, those lessons to show you that you're attached to keep coming. So where I am today, um, you know, I still have to manage and be aware of the connection with this person. Um, he can live in my heart in a different way and that feels good, but really fully releasing it. And the minute I do, all these other things come rushing in. All these other possibilities um, for new experiences. You know, frankly, I'm done having this experience over two and a half years of pain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get to a point where it's like, okay, I really choose to let this go because I'm ready for new stuff to come through. Um, and there's been a lot of really beautiful things come through that I'm ready for because I learned the lesson of non-attachment. So when we can look at these things, you know, I can look at this relationship I've had as, you know, I, ha I have so many people and so many friends and I've heard, and it makes you crazy because like my kids don't understand my kids think I've gone crazy. My friends think I'm crazy. They don't understand why I would put up with so much. And, you know, just that the coming in and it's so loving and then have conversations about being together and then you're completely ignored is it's super traumatic. And, um, you know, having people question your sanity, but question and go, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And no one really understands until you're in it. Yeah. Not everyone is going to have this kind of a relationship. But when you can go into it and go and feel into it and go, 
what does this have to show me? What do I need to learn? How do I want to react? And does this feel good? You know, you can move through it relatively quickly. Um, some really beautiful things coming in in my life. Um, I'm currently experiencing, you know, contrast in a different way. Um, I have some sweetness coming into my life and that feels really good. You know, I'm ready to allow myself to be fully loved and fully present with someone and not have to have it in a, you know, painful way. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think probably the greatest lesson that I'm sitting in now is, um, don't keep hoping for something to change in your life. You know, you be courageous now. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about those five degrees. If you start shifting a little bit, amazing things will start opening into your life. You'll start making different um, choices. And what that does is it allows that new fresh energy to come in to give you exactly what it is you want. And part of that is... Um, Yeah, just being able to choose. How do you want to feel? And we don't have to suffer unless we want to. Mm -hmm. And if something's in front of you and you want it, go after it. And don't attach to an outcome. Just be aware of what you want to create. And um, it's very freeing. So I have my freedom back. Good. Um, Yeah, really have my freedom back. And that Mm -hmm. feels really, really good. Because now I'm at a point where... You know, I feel like I can harness all of that and look at what that relationship taught me and move forward um, in a way that that serves me and serves the experiences that I want to have. And so that feels good. I'm glad to hear that, Joss. <laughs> more, more happy than you know. Me too, I know. You see so me nice on both to see sides. your smile. Um, so I'm just going to ask you one more question. And... Um, so I want to know, I guess, how, when, I don't really know how to phrase it, did you start to um, get messages, um, become this intuitive channel, um, step more into your purpose as a quote-unquote healer? Like how and when and what um, <laughs> and why okay I'll give it this might have to be a short summary we'll have to go into part three um you know really nine years ago um after i left and how was divorced i spent some time by myself and really kind of started going into that self journey of who am i and why am i here and i was curious i started reading a whole bunch of self-help books I did have a relationship that really kind of put me on that wellness path. Um, we triggered each other so badly. He was he was actually very abusive, and we went to therapy, and I realized I had a story, and then I started kind of going off of that. So that was the fuel to catapult me into going, who am I, and why, why am I doing the things I'm doing? And then I would sit there and have, I would, I remember sitting in my, living room in my condo in um, Laguna Niguel on the backside of Laguna Beach and I remember the breeze coming through the windows and I was I was going to yoga and I was you know really doing some mindful meditations and I just 
would have these voices in my head. I started hearing Mm. and then I would start feeling things and I didn't know what it was and it kind of freaked me out. And, um, I remember standing in my kitchen one night and I literally, I was, I was being told to heal people. I mean, I knew my ex-husband had colon cancer a year before he was diagnosed and said anything because I was told to work on him because I'd say, okay, if I'm supposed to do, I'd have dreams. I had a Japanese teacher um, yelling at me how to do Reiki and do energy healing in my sleep. And so I was learning all these things while I was asleep and I was processing and I would wake up and go, okay, wait, what's happening? And I was, I was getting these messages of, heal this person I had my neighbor come by and his husband was dying and you know he's asking me can you do energy work can you send and I've got angels now saying this is how you heal them this is what you do and I remember going and standing in my kitchen and going okay I'm going crazy (laughs) and I'm hearing all these voices and I don't know where they're coming from and so can I meet you are you a guide are you an angel are you know are you a demon like who am I talking to or is it just me because at this point I feel like I need medication and it was the strangest feeling I saw it's the first time I saw with my mind's eye the first eye yeah you know and and it's such a strange feeling when you're not really seeing but you're feeling mm-hmm. so I had these orbs I had four orbs come to me And at first I saw them as light and then I could tell who they were in great detail. And then they introduced themselves and they told me who they were. And my father came as one of them. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, I just started working with them and going, okay. Um, And then it started getting really, really intense. And I was getting into astro travel and uh, mediumship started opening up. I'm still looking for an Erica because her mother has a message for her. Really stuff that I was way beyond what I was ready to handle. I mean, I would meditate and find myself in rooms full of people talking. And I, by the time I realized and I would tap in, um, that is when I got the message that <laughs> Jeff was coming. I actually meditated with Buddha twice. He helped open my heart. He sent me down a path to go talk to Krishna. I talked to Krishna and he told me my counterpart was coming and he gave me great detail of what was going to happen. And, um, I started getting all these downloads and it, I didn't know what to do with it. And I was a single mom at the time. I had two, you know, relatively small kids. Melanie was actually coming back into my life. Melanie found me. She came back. I've got a tattoo on my arm and be open, let go, just love. And that's my life story. I was so closed off. It took Melanie for me to really open up. She found me. Um, I made the commitment in December to go to Sedona and deal with what happened. And she found me like a week later. And we reconnected. And that kid taught me forgiveness. There's like, we have an amazing relationship. She's in my life. I'm going to be a grandmother this year. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been such a beautiful journey with her over the last, I mean, goodness, it's been now, what, 13 years of understanding her and having her really be my teacher. Um, so that happened. And it just, I had to go back to functioning as a provider for my kids. And I had to take a job. And, you know, it's funny, I was talking to a woman today about it, about sometimes you have to make decisions where, 
I was starting to close some things down because they were getting a little too much for me. And I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anyone that could talk to me or guide me with what was happening. I was opening them up so quickly um, that I just, I kind of threw myself back into work and being in provider mode. And my intuition would still be there. But then I went through the series of my body screaming at me again, going, uh, no, uh -uh, this wasn't the plan. This is not what you're supposed to do. And I was getting sick. Yeah. My immune system was shutting down. My mother got sick and she was dying. I was breaking out in shingles all the time, um, which later found out was attached to my grandmother and ancestral healing. And so um, Jeff really kind of reopened a lot of that stuff. Um, it catapulted me into being able to come back to Sedona. If I didn't have that relationship with him, I wouldn't have healed all the issues and all my core wounding that happened here. So the very nature of us coming together and going what I went through over the last two years has allowed me to come back here and really fully open. Um, I'm having to reopen everything again and it's been a process and it's things have turned on in such a different, incredible, more powerful way. Um, like even just, I told you the other night, um, the full moon, I actually opened a portal to myself, to my ancient self that I know it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's amazing. Um, the support, the structure I have now to be able to do my work and to be fully who I am. You know, we always have that. Everyone has a storyline of I was a witch and I've been burned mm, or I've been drowned. Right, right. And we've lived centuries of self-sabotaging ourselves because we're so afraid to stand in our gifts. Well, I tapped into my inner goddess and I'm an, <laughs> this, I'm an oracle. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's kind of big to say, but I'm a seer. I had Wade, our shamanic practitioner, tell me that you know, about a month or two ago, he's like, you need to reopen your seer. You need to reopen. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so it's been a process of reopening all of those things and they're flooding back. And, um, that feels really good because for the first time in my life, I really feel in alignment with who I am. It's yeah. taken me a long time. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, so I definitely want to go more into the, um, the full moon, but we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we, we might have to save that for another episode. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up now. So, um, well, thank you for your candidness, Jess, um, for sharing your powerful story. Um, it is truly an honor to have you as a friend, a soul sister, and a partner. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, as I said before, feel free to post or message us with any questions. And um, can they post on Anchor? I don't think so, right? No, you have to go through Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. So you can find Jess on her Facebook, Finding My Spirit Song, or on her website, FindingMySpiritSong.com. And um, you can friend me on Facebook as well, Star Lucente. On our next episode, I think, um, I'm going to be sharing a bit about my journey and um, all that Sedona has already done for me in this short time. Do you have any closing words? I do. I just, you know, thanks for listening to my story. And, you know, I've, I've talked about my story for so long through blogs and posts. And it's always been my hope that someone would resonate with what I've been through, that it would offer a 
door opening or a better understanding for people that, you know, we all have our stuff, we all have our stories, there's nothing to be shut down or ashamed by, and that, you know, it just takes baby steps and is going through it and just the awareness. And, you know, I've, I've always hoped that my words in my life has could be an example of you know, keep going because this is where you you can get to the other side of it and it's not going to kill you. It's just, you got to just know yourself and have hope and, you know, have people in your life that can help guide you. And um, I didn't really have the guidance. I had to self-find that guidance myself. Um, but I hope that my stories um, can be of inspiration. So thank you for listening. And um, peace and much love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.